Better listen very carefully. A good martial artist does not become tense, but ready. Essentially, at this point, the fight is over. So you pretty much flow with the goal. Who is worthy to be trusted with the secret to limitless power? I'm ready. Question time. The boys respond. Q Julian. Question from Mark. Current subscriber. Blue belt turning 50 this year. I train jits four or five times a week. Have been doing standard since November of last year as well as extra mobility each week. I'm thinking of going to compete in World Masters in September of next year. I'm pretty strong and athletic and have had to work more at mobility and just mat endurance. I want a plan for the next 15 months. What would you recommend? Muscle cardio for six cycles, then back to standards? Or kettlebell strength 101 or what? I want to be the strongest, most mobile, endurance capable I can be in 15 months. I love the program and recommend it to everyone. Thanks for all you do from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, United States. Shout Bulls, out. Bulls, what a legend. To the South. So I responded on the message to Mark and I, I, what I said, I'm interested to hear what you think. I said, look, man, how strong, like, how strong do you consider yourself to be? And he's like, I'm pretty strong. Okay. I'm like, all right, well, look, if you're strong then, I think we probably don't need to spend a huge amount of time on that, right? Mm-hmm. Let's focus on some endurance and some mobility because he did say like mobility is a thing. But we don't need 15 months of conditioning work. No, it's a lot. So what I said was like, look, dude, why don't you jump into muscle cardio where it is more muscular endurance biased uh-huh. for a couple of cycles. So that's like three months. Yep. And then jump off that, jump back into standards for like a cycle. It might be six, eight weeks. And you can kind of just go back and forth like that for a while. Then leading up close to the event, maybe four months out, you maybe want to jump on a conditioning specific program. Sure. But it's like 15 months. You don't want to just be doing one thing. No, definitely not. I think when you look at 15 months, like let's let's just say it was 12 and play with the last three, see how you go. Yeah, very similar to what you said. Um, I would maybe even say have a look at the kettlebell program and, and do that, like take that through for nine months and then come back to muscle cardio. Because like, you've got a lot of conditioning in that at the back end. There of is. Cycles, the, huh? the, the double kettlebell work and the carries with the complexes. It's a yeah, and they're in the the last two cycles. There's six cycles all up. Correct. Nice. So we're looking at nine months if you're doing all of the cycles. So I would I would actually say it could be worthwhile doing the doing the kettlebells all the way through, and then coming back to muscle cardio. Nice. Joshua says, "Hey lads, forty year old blue belt here. I've been a listener of the podcast since you taught me how to lance my own ear from audio only. Safe to say, I didn't die. I have two bulges in the lumbar S1 to L5, L5 to L4." And the second one has a significant tear in the annulus. I've consulted with a neurosurgeon and won't go for a fusion. Working with my physio and GP on pain neuroscience and rehabbing the injury daily. My glutes and lower back isn't complete dog shit, but aim to improve. Jits exacerbates the shit out of it. I stopped wrestling and gone to a guard game. Less pain manipulating people with legs instead of hunching over playing a top game. Still, it got the best of me and I stopped four weeks ago. I don't want to be a statistical blue. Do you see people manage this type of injury? Thanks in advance. Okay, I'm going to say the approach you took is not quite on point. I understand the idea that you don't want to hunch over when you're passing. Playing guard is going to put you in flexion. So provided I'm understanding this correctly, if you've herniated the discs, bulged the discs through flexion, more flexion is going to be bad. So you need to spend a bit more time in extension. Now, if you're finding that wrestling is too much, you might want to have a look at 
passing on your knees. Even though this is old school, this allows you to keep quite a straight back, you know, posture good, and you, you're not loading up through your hips as much as opposed to shooting and wrestling. So I would actually say that if you're trying to manage the pain of bulge discs and it sounds like you've got your therapist and your physios all covered, which is really good, playing guard is not what you should be doing with bulge discs. That's what I'm going to say. That's a fair point. I'd also say like maybe worth looking at hamstrings and calves because if you're tight through the hammies, any kind of standing position where you're hinged at the hip, yeah. there's going to be pressure on the back there, high. right, if you're super tight. Whereas if you've got a bit more range in the hammies, you can more comfortably sit in that position. In terms of uh, his question at the end there, have we seen people manage bulge discs and train jiu-jitsu? Absolutely. Yep. Can be done. You want to speak to someone who knows that shit? Dr. Andrew Locke. Dr. Andrew Locke. Would be a great resource. The the absolute master of managing bulge discs and also back pain in general. So you can check out his stuff at, I think it's just at Dr. Andrew Locke. Yeah, you find him through through our Instagram. He's awesome. At Bucket70 asks, would you do a talk regarding nutritional supplements and what you take or would recommend? Joint health, for example. Yeah, uh, we, we did do a Q&A on this a long time ago on YouTube. We did, indeed. And I, I had done a, I'd done a YouTube live probably more than 18 months ago. Uh, similarly, when it comes to joint health and nutrition, it's interesting because people will take certain supplements and say they feel a benefit, but very limited on this, so don't you know, take this with a grain of salt, a lot of what people are benefiting from is the act of taking the thing. It's like a placebo effect. Mm. Like the actual benefit of taking like glucosamine and chondroitin or whatever they're taking is just in their mind. Yeah, I feel like glucosamine really had a peak about 15 years ago. I know my dad was pumping it. You're not hearing anything about it. Nothing. Right. Yeah, don't know if it really ended up being very bioavailable. Like people are like, yo, you better have like, what is it, from beef? Collagen. Yeah. Oh, if I have collagen, will that fix my joints? Well, it's like, look, collagen is a, uh, amino, it's an amino acid, right? So, yeah, it's a form of protein. Does that help things repair? The fact that you took it from an animal's joint doesn't mean it helps your joints. Do you know what I mean? There's this conception like, oh, if I eat it, it will go to there. Go to there, which is not necessarily true. But I would say if you are eating like a typical sort of Western like diet where the meat is primarily muscle meat. Here's something where liver king maybe is onto something. Oh, if you do eat different parts of the animal, as is done in more traditional cultures, broths made from the bones, yes. you're eating tendons, you're eating a little bit of organ and you're eating some muscle meat. You are getting this diversity of nutrients for sure. Um, so I would think like, yeah, like, like in terms of supplementation, collagen, but otherwise just eat more whole animal and you don't have to eat raw bulls testicles. <laughs> What? Unless you want to. (laughs) But what I was going to say is just on that too, if you've got a high degree of inflammation in your body because your diet is imbalanced or you're drinking alcohol a lot or, you know, you don't drink enough water, like there's a lot of factors. People get gout not because of, you know, just because their diet's very imbalanced Mm. and that can create joint pain. So you want to consider that maybe you're eating other things which might be causing pain and discomfort in your joints. Yeah, it's a really good point. I've spoken to plenty of people that have like, oh, I've cut nightshades out of my diet and my knees feel great. Sure. Right? Like tomatoes and eggplants and shit. And you're like, whoa, fuck. Amazing. There you go. So a bit of an investigation for yourself. For sure. Chad Morris asks, would you call an instructor who does not compete a hobbyist? (laughs) I call him a little bitch. No, (laughs) no, not at all. 
Come from the guy that never competes. No, but I mean, look at a guy like Heath Padigo, right? He's on the mats. He's a total savage. He was a competitor for a long time. He also is like severely injured. You know, he had eye surgery. There's a lot of things. He is an amazing coach and has created amazing athletes. He's not competing. You know what I would call them? I'd call them a coach. Yeah. It's a role, right? And it's, and it's to be the mentor and to be the guide for people. Usually, you're not competing because your you're busy focusing on them. Yeah. You know, so like look at Danaher, right? Like you wouldn't call him, you'd call him a fucking coach or a teacher or a, you know, whatever, a sensei. Master. Master. Um, yeah, I still, and I think maybe with that question, it's a bit loaded in terms of hobbyist being like a derogatory term. Yeah. Uh, and it's not, guys. It's a fucking term of empowerment. No, but they're professional. Like hobbyist is you're a blue belt and you train sometimes. They're a black belt. They've dedicated their whole fucking life to it. Yeah. They're professional. It's not like, oh, I do it sometimes. It's their life. And I think the problem is everybody wants to see the hot, sexy competitor, but often great competitors are shit coaches. Well, you, great you, athlete doesn't necessarily make a great coach. No, and you do see some like Galvão, say five sure. years ago, right? whoa, he's like world champion and also fucking training this team. Incredible. That period doesn't last long and most can't do it. Yep. Last question. We've got one minute. At Paco Paco 888 asked. <laughs> Can you make a video about your own training schedule when you guys were younger and now when you are older and how you guess it would be in the future as you age? Uh, we could yeah. do a video about it. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, I'm up for it. I mean, I, I'll just give you a summary right now. Used to train jiu-jitsu twice a day, six days a week and lift weights every single day. Now, train jiu-jitsu once or twice a week, lift weights five times a week. It depends on your goals, man. Like, I think that's what it's all about. There was a time in my life where I want to be a world champion and now it's like, I just want to be super strong and still be good at jiu-jitsu. And I think as you get more skills, you don't have to train as much. I think when you're on the accumulation phase, you've got to do way more. Yeah. I was kind of like that, but just 50%. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, fam. (laughs) 